Well, good morning and welcome to everybody. And uh, what a great trip. Dan did a great job of leading that trip and um, a, lot of, a lot of blessings came to a lot of people. Good to see you guys, everybody today. I want to welcome you again to our worship time. My name is Randy and I'm excited about today. And we've been in a series now on parenting for uh, a few weeks, but it's much, much more than that. It's much broader than that. And I know God's going to speak to all of us about where we are right now in our lives and our relationship with him. You know, a lot of us kind of sit down and spend our downtime kind of mindlessly on our phones looking at random information, uh, or I do that a lot. And it was that that caused me one day uh, to read an article about boats. Now, I have no idea. I don't have a boat, never had a boat, have no interest in having a boat. But for some reason, I clicked on an article about a boat. And this particular article was focused on how do you properly anchor a boat when it needs to be held perfectly in place? Let's say that you're diving, you're exploring, doing something on the the bottom of the ocean, and you want that boat held perfectly in place. It's called a four-point anchor system. Instead of one anchor you throw out just to kind of hold the boat in place, you actually use four anchors. You use one at each corner of the boat, and then you tighten the cables to hold it securely over the place you're going to be working, whatever you might have been doing. Now, even though it has nothing to do with our message today, uh, there is a point to this, actually four points, a four-point anchor system. <laughs> All right. So we've been in this study uh, series here for a couple of weeks now, and we've been talking about how to anchor your child in their faith so that whenever they deal with the currents of life and the sways and the pressure of the world and the storms of life, they'll be able to stand firm in what they believe. And we've been looking at four points here to secure them. And we find this in Mark chapter 12, where Jesus said that we're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, our mind, and our strength. And he says that, first of all, we are to love God in this way. And when we love God in this way, then we in turn can teach our children to do the same thing. But we can't teach them to do so until we are firmly anchored ourselves. And we talked the first week about loving God with all of our heart. And then we talked about loving last week about our soul. And today we're going to talk about loving with the third anchor, which is the mind. And I believe this is so important to all of us. Parents are not wherever we are in life. It's so important that our mind be anchored to firm points because there's so much pressure. There's so much distraction in our world today. You know, when you think about it, again, the mind, the mind is where we determine how we're going to think about life, how we're going to think about God, how we're going to have basically our worldview. And I was reading another article that said a person's worldview is primarily shaped and firmly in place by the time they reach the age of 13. So the first 13 years of a child's life, a person's life, is where they're going to get a perspective of the world. They're going to kind of determine who is important, what is important in life, how do they view the world, through what lens do they see the world, is it through God's lens, is it through culture's lens, all those things happen the first 13 years of our life. That's why it's so important that we as parents realize the impact of our leadership and our direction for our children. It's so important that we have you know, ministries that, that minister to our children, our kids' ministry, our, our student ministry. I got Jordan over here and Young Life ministry. It's so important that kids are ministered to in the first few years of our life because there is a battle for every person's mind. There's a constant battle between God and Satan over your mind. God wants you to love him and serve him with your mind, and Satan is always looking for ways to distract you and steal your mind and your focus. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna begin our next series called Weaponized. And I'm excited about jumping into that and talking about how we are equipped to deal with the pressure of the world. Uh, But this kind of ties into it as well, because in this scripture, the language of war is used here. You know, a lot of us do not realize that we are in a battle. When you wake up in the morning, the battle begins. When you walk out your door, it gets more intense. When you get to work or school, it really gets tough. The battle is there. But the problem is we don't realize we're in battle. And because we are naive, that's our first mistake. And it makes us vulnerable. Can you imagine if you were in a battle, but you didn't know it? And the enemy was out to get you and you weren't prepared and you weren't aware that the enemy was there. That's how many of us approach life. And unfortunately, we're very vulnerable in that way. A war is being waged in our lives between the kingdom of light, God, and the kingdom of darkness, which is Satan. And if you're a parent, we're raising children who all too soon enter the war for themselves. And they get out into the world and they have to deal with the pressures and hopefully they're going to be aware. We can't prepare them for everything, but we have to equip them the best that we can. We have to prepare them for battle. And you know, we're not just to be on defense. We teach our kids to be on defense, watch around you, what's going on. But also the Bible says that we are to go on offense as well. They were to take the battle to Satan sometimes. Now it's hard sometimes for kids to do that. We teach them to be defensive when they're young. And then hopefully at some point they're equipped to go take the battle to the world. And Satan has a goal and his goal is to try to find a foothold in our mind And then once he gets a foothold, then he wants to build a stronghold. And he will use every opportunity to get control of your mind and then your life. He will catch you when you are exhausted emotionally, financially, spiritually, mentally, physically, in every way. He will exploit any hurt you have. He will exploit any weakness you might have. He will exploit your feelings. He'll exploit your ability to forgive other people. He will lie to you about God and other believers in his attempt to try to get control of your mind because he wants to take you captive to do his will. So Paul says, being aware of that in the battle, that we have to deal with the arguments, he said, all arguments and all pretenses that come against us and against the word of God and the knowledge of God. And we have to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. See the battle terminology here, the language he's talking about, we have to take every thought captive. Do we do that? You know, the the literal language here is to put a sword to the throat of every argument and every pretension or temptation. So what he's saying here is that you capture the thought and then you use the sword of the spirit to hold it to the neck of that thought and the word of God and you hold it captive and you interrogate it and then you see if it's a friend or enemy And then you take it to your commander, Jesus, and you make it comply with the word of God, or you kill it. That's what he says. That's what he's talking about. That's how we deal with the temptations of the world. We're prepared to examine them, to kind of interrogate them. Is this good or is this bad? Now, if if we don't understand that, we're going to just jump at everything we hear or see. We're going to be vulnerable to that, and our kids are going to be vulnerable as well. But Paul says, this is how you handle temptation. 
because you're going to be tempted. Every one of us are tempted in life. You know, Jesus was tempted by Satan, so it's not wrong to be tempted. In fact, it's normal to be tempted, but a temptation becomes a sin whenever you meditate on it, when you allow your desire to kind of, you know, uh, in, envelop it, when you're longing, when it, it, it tempts you to, to be engaged, and then you take action on it. And then the Bible says, then it can easily, not only is it a foothold, it can be a stronghold in your mind when you start to value it, you start to defend it, you start to allow it to grow. And you know, in James chapter one, he describes this whole process very well. He says, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So he kind of explains the fact that all of us are going to be tempted when you take your first breath in the morning, you're already tempted something. Natural desire, human desire is going to, you know, just spring forth from, from your mind and something's going to spark that, something's going to tempt you. But if you let that desire control you, it leads to sin. And then if sin is not repented of, it leads to separation from God. That's kind of the natural process that all of us are, that's how we're led into sin. Now, since you're a child, if you're a parent, since they're little human beings, they're going to deal with the same sort of temptations that we deal with today. In fact, I think today's children deal with a lot of temptations that you and I never dealt with. And I've been a while since I was a child. I acknowledge that. But there are a lot of temptations that our children face today that we didn't know about, things that were not a part of um, culture or were not a part of our awareness of what we see. There's so much that they're, that they're subject to today. And I think sometimes we, we don't understand what they're dip, dealing with, and we don't know, we don't realize how important it is for us to prepare them and equip them to deal with these temptations. Now, I believe as a parent, I remember when our kids were small, we, we try to spare our children a lot of things that we think little children should not know about. Uh, we try to protect our kids, which is good. We talked, when we talked about loving uh, as God loves. We said that love protects. So it's important to protect our children. But you know what we sometimes forget is that they're hearing these things everywhere else and they need us to tell them the truth, not what the world tells them. Now, obviously there are age appropriate topics and you got to figure that out with your kids, but the age for most of those topics is getting younger and younger. And unfortunately, when a lot of people, a lot of parents realize, man, well, I ought to be talking to my child about this their child's already been talked to about it. They've already seen it, heard it. And in many cases, they've already formed an opinion on it. And so I'm not telling you when to deal with certain topics, but the reality, the age for those topics is younger and younger. And you want to try to tell them the truth before the world tells them a lie. I don't know why, what it is, but sometimes the first time we hear something is kind of shapes our opinion of it. Like that's truth. And then and everything else has to kind of you know, uh, challenge that. So parents need to be honest and telling their kids the truth up front. You want to tell them the truth before the world starts lying to them. And I know a lot of parents feel overwhelmed and unprepared to talk about the difficult issues and topics with their kids. But remember that you are still the most influential person in their lives. Open those conversations with your children. 
maybe not go too deep into them, but then at least the opportunity, the, the topic is open, and when they have questions, maybe they'll come back and talk to you about them. But use the influence that you have as a parent to help them program their mind. You know, we talked about the power of God and the Holy Spirit last week about uh, how the spirit and the soul, how they are one. And we love the God with all of our soul. That means the Holy Spirit is in us as believers and that we have to help program our children's minds and their conscience as far as what is right and what is wrong. And that's our responsibility as parents to do that. And, and I know that's kind of overwhelming. So I want to kind of throw out a couple things that maybe will help challenge you to think about how do you deal with some of these things in helping to shape your own mind and think about certain things and also to shape the mind of your child as well. So let me throw out four things that I want to share with you. First of all, it's the topic of the difference between truth and lies. Truth and lies. You know, we are told many lies by the world. In fact, our culture doesn't even, in many cases, believe in truth. Our culture refuses to acknowledge that there is an ultimate truth. It all comes down to perspective. And you hear people talking about, well, this is my truth and that's your truth as if there is no ultimate truth. You know, everybody has a perspective and their truth is their reality. You know, Satan loves this. He loves this. I mean, to plant these kind of seeds in people's mind that there is no ultimate truth is, is gold for him. And, and the Bible says that he is a liar. He lies about everything. John chapter eight, verse 44 says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is never going to tell you the truth about anything. Never. And he's going to make you question, is there even such thing as truth? It's a, it's a great temptation and a great question to make people wonder. The world doesn't recognize a source of truth. And so lies come naturally in the world. And if you will just be aware, you will see how many lies, how many blatant lies are out there in the world today. Parents, by the way, don't let your children get away with lying ever. And even when they're young, you know, it might be cute at the moment, but it could start a lifelong habit that will impact almost every area of their life. So, you know, it might be cute when they're little, but don't, don't let your kids get away with lying. Because there is such a thing as ultimate truth. There is ultimate truth. And Truth corresponds with reality, corresponds with reality. So, you know, and, and even in our culture, you see this all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, when the government tells you that we can all get free money and nobody will ever have to pay, you know that's a lie, right? That is not reality. There's nothing real about it at all. It doesn't even make sense. When people say that abortion doesn't take a life, we know that's a lie. That is not reality. Science, everything proves that to be wrong. And there's a million other practical ways that, that we and our children are lied to. So we need to help our kids understand that there is, there is truth and there are lies that, that we hear every day. And we help them understand that by looking at the ultimate source of truth, which is God's Word. God's Word. We've talked about the importance, and we're going to keep talking about it, of getting our kids in the Bible. Our kids need to know truth. And we need to teach them the difference between truth and lies. You know, a lot of people will replace truth with their own opinion and their own beliefs and, you know, and their own perspective or their experience. People say things like, well, this can't be true because I believe this, or someone told me this, 
or it doesn't seem fair or the best. I, I read it on the internet, you know, that the internet isn't always right, I think. I think it's got a lot of lies on it. So truth leads us to God and lies lead us to Satan. Teach your kids there is a difference between lies and truth and there is an ultimate truth. Secondly, the difference between wisdom and folly. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. It's interesting, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So what is he saying here? He's saying that the majority is almost always gonna be wrong. The majority is almost always going to be wrong. And this is hard sometimes, but you may have to teach your child that they will almost always have to stand against the crowd. I don't know why that's true, but I guess it's a culture that we live in. Unless you're in, you know, maybe in a a, a Christian youth group, (laughs) um, our kids are almost always going to have to stand against the crowd and be the minority. Give them courage and strength to do so. Give them courage and strength. Some things the world thinks are wisdom are just sinful, and some things are just dumb. I mean, they're just dumb. You need to teach your kids to have common sense and look at not just the moment, but the long-term perspective of that. Help your child to think critically, not just for the moment, for the long haul. Think about practical things uh, like use of their time and their money and the the treatment of people and care for their human body and uh, avoiding addictions. Help, Help them see and you when you see the ugly things in life, help them critically think through that. Where does this lead? Where does this take you down the road? Is this what, what you want your life to be like? I, I think about just the value of hard work and, and showing our children what they can have and the, op, and the, the obvious options of sometimes people who don't choose to, to work hard. You know, it, it's, it's not just because you tell them what to do or what not to do, but explain why to them, to your child. Wisdom and folly. You know, the Bible tells a lot about that. Show them examples when they come up naturally. Let them fail sometime so that they can learn and and to know the natural result of making mistakes. And as they get older, help them take responsibility for their actions and their decisions and guide them through the pitfalls of adolescence. You know, I used to tell my kids all the time because I saw a lot of parents who spoiled their kids and then they ended up caring for their kids for the rest of their life. And so I told my kids a lot. I I gave them more freedom and more responsibility, maybe than some might do. And they kind of rose to that. But I tell them, told them, my job is to make you independent. My job is to make you independent. I want you to be independent so you can care for yourself and care for your family because I didn't want to care for them the rest of their life. You know, to be honest with you, that's just wisdom. That's, that's important that they make great decisions in life. And uh, I feel like we've had some measure of success in that. We don't, uh, we don't see them depending on us, which is great that they've got their own faith and they've got their own life and their own money too. That's important as well, all right? <laughs> Thirdly, flesh and spirit. The difference between flesh and spirit. The kingdom of God is ruled by the spirit of God. The foolishness of this world is something that God refers to as flesh. So the Bible talks about the spirit and the flesh. And we know that there is a huge difference. There is the spirit is of God, the flesh is of this world. Romans chapter eight says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God 
It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please, cannot please God. So God, uh, Paul here speaks about two ways to live. You either live by the flesh or you live by the spirit. Now, because we are made of flesh, all of us are human bodies, we oftentimes think that that fleshly and worldly things are the priority, that that's the most important thing because our body craves these things, our desires lead us in that direction. But we're going to, and we're going to be influenced and swayed by the things of the world. It's only natural. We're going to see something and we're going to think, I want that, whether it's good for us or not, whether it's something God wants for us, that's, that's going to be the temptation. That's one of those cap thoughts that we're to take captive. We talked about a few moments ago, there's going to be a battle here in our life and every one of our lives. And we have to be aware of the battle and that we have to make sure that we are on guard and fighting daily. And then we also have to make sure that our children are aware and prepared to fight the battle as well. You see, a mind controlled by the flesh leads to death. That's what Paul just said. But the mind controlled by the Holy Spirit leads to life and peace and joy and fulfillment. So understand and teach your children to choose a spirit-led life, thinking God's thoughts, obeying God's words, seeking God's will for their life. It, it, It has to do with choosing a career path, choosing a mate, uh, you know, how you think about money, how you think about life, how you think about decisions, about friends, so many things led by the spirit versus the world and the flesh. And then fourthly, the other contrast would be the difference between yes and no. You know, I wonder whatever happened to parents telling their children no, just no and mean it, you know? Um, Maybe you grew up with an overbearing parent, a domineering parent, or, you know, they, they said no a lot. They were always saying no, and they weren't kind or generous. And you thought to yourself, when I grow up, I am not going to be like that. I'm not going to be uh, like my parents, and, uh, and you're going to tell your kids yes a lot. You're never going to say no. That's, that's a bad decision to make. Or maybe you say, we'll see. Which, you know, we'll see sounds good because you don't have to deal with the pushback, but basically it means if you keep asking, probably so. It means yes. Even if you meant no, we'll see ends up that direction. Our kids need to hear no sometimes. They need to hear no. You know, you said it, you mean it. You didn't, you're not trying to be mean, but you, you let them know that everything doesn't always go their way in life. And when you become adult, you hear no a lot. That, that's good parenting to teach them to accept no and understand that. And I'll tell you why I know it's good parenting, because the, the perfect parent God, our Heavenly Father, says no a lot. Says no a lot. In fact, he gave 10 commandments, and if you look at them, almost all of them he says no in. No, you can't commit adultery. I know you want to, but you can't do that. No, you can't steal. No, you can't lie. No, you can't have any other God before me, and, and so on. God says no a lot. Is he trying to be mean? No, he's not. He's trying to protect us. Because an uncontrolled life leads to destruction. Learning no means that we build self-control in our own lives, and then we build self-control in our kids' life down the road. At some point, they have to know they can't have everything in life. And so we need to make sure that we say no to ourselves, no to the flesh, and then we have to be able to accept when God says no as well. And by the way, I believe that kids learn God's authority and God's ability to say no through us when we say no sometimes. It's kind of how they, they, they understand who God is. 
And while we're on this topic of yes and no, moms and dads, get on the same page and support one another. Because your child, as sweet as they are, they are a child, and they love to divide and conquer. And uh, kids will, you know this, ask one parent, and if they say no, they will ask the other parent who might say yes, or we'll see, uh, which again means yes down the road. And many times in the process, they cause conflict between parents because parents feel used and disrespected. Just another way that Satan has to weigh the liar to the murderer and destroyer works to tear families apart. So if one parent says no, whatever it is, as hard as it is, please support that. You know, you might come back around and, and you know, re- renegotiate it, but just support each other so that the kids don't end up causing conflict in the marriage. You know, here at Journey Church, we encourage parents to dedicate their children to the Lord. And typically we do that in the, uh, when they're very young, but you can really do it at any age. And I think that's so important to dedicate every part of them, their bodies, their minds, their, their souls, their hearts, everything. And we as a church are going to commit to provide programming for your children and support and encouragement to parents. We'll help you walk through that. But we believe that the parent is the most important influence in a child's life, the most important teacher. And unfortunately today, sometimes we abandon that responsibility and privilege to, to, to schools and teachers and coaches, and all those folks can help. They will help. I talked last week about the power and the encouragement that we got as parents in our church family, in our, in our youth group and children's ministry, and all the people who poured into our kids' life. That's important. But when it comes ultimately down to it, you are the most important and significant and influential teacher in their lives. And you will teach every day of your life. You don't have to homeschool to do this. You know, you're going to teach them every day. That's why it's so important. You don't know chemistry, biology, or algebra, any of those things. But what you're teaching them daily is actually more important than all those subjects. And you're teaching them by the way that you live your life. And your influence is going to come out, not just by what you say, but what you do. You will build and equip their spiritual minds. They will get their opinion who God is from you. And they will understand the view they have of God and of the world from you personally. So I'd encourage you to start reading the Bible stories to them really early. I remember my mom used to read stories to us in those blue Bible story books. Sometimes you would see them in the doctor's office. I don't know if you ever, when you were a kid, but those Bible stories books were awesome. I know more about God, more about the Bible from them than any other uh, source, probably even more than college, I would say. So start early reading Bible stories to pray with them. Take advantage of the teachable moments we talked about. Take them to church. Let them get into journey kids' ministry to learn and grow with, their, with the other kids their age and, and to have these kids in common. Uh, dads, take the lead in this. I really want to call out dads on this thing because God has given spiritual leadership to the Father. Do not be passive. Do not leave that to mom uh, to do. You are to be the spiritual leader in the home. It's never too late to start, no matter what age your kids are. Step up, lead, because God's put you there. I really believe one day we'll stand before God and men will give an account for how we have led our family spiritually. Not just did we provide for them financially, but how did we lead them spiritually? And if your kids see their father making God a priority in their life, it's going to be much more likely for them to do so as well than it's just, if it's just mom doing that. So I want to encourage you. Sons, will become leader in their homes. Daughters will find a spiritual leader to marry if dad leads in the home. In your kids, create a love for the Bible. 
over and over again, the source of truth, read Bible stories to them, get them a picture Bible when they're little. As they grow up, invest in age-appropriate Bibles. Don't skimp on the Bible. You know, it's amazing how much money, I remember this, we would spend on sports equipment. Our kids would want to play some sport, and we'd go and just spend a, a hundred bucks in a drop of a hat on sports equipment. Sometimes they didn't even end up playing, but we had all this junk you know, that we bought. We will spend money on things, but then we might say, well, you know, $25 for a Bible? What? That's crazy, you know? So don't skip on the Bible. Get your kids a good Bible. Help them to see the value of the Bible. The Bible is good news. Don't make it bad news. Don't make it boring for them. Let them know that you read the Bible every day. Again, that's a calling us out to do, though. Encourage them to read it every day. Talk about the exciting stories in the Bible, the stories of how God has worked in people's lives and worked down through history, and, and emphasize the importance of developing uh, their spiritual mind, not just their physical body that we talked about, um, that, we, that we talked about before. And then also encourage them in every, to take every opportunity to be involved in things like service that, uh, that we saw some of our kids were, were in that video. And don't let anything take priority over worship. Teach them to serve, minister to others, and, and get outside of themselves. I took my kids to nursing homes and shut-ins and to serve people. Uh, maybe why three of them ended up with social work degrees and one's in teaching and ministry. I, I'd like to think so, that, that they saw that in action and they took that as their own values. And by the way, encourage your child to be ministry-minded. Ministry-minded. God needs more young people going into ministry and missions, full-time and part-time. Uh, I think this is something that the church is failing on, and I see this across all, all types of churches that, that there aren't people stepping into leadership roles in the church and ministry down the road. It's going to be a real issue. If you want your child's life to really matter, raise them in the Lord, teach them to love the Lord with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. And like we come back to every time, the best way to teach them is to do it yourself, to make sure that you're living what you tell your child is, is important, that you're modeling it, that you're influencing them, and encouraging them and nurturing them through all of this. Now, I know that's a lot, and I know, uh, I know that some of us, our, ourselves, myself, uh, we're kind of past those influential years, we think, but it continues to be important to our children, no matter what age you are. Even adult children and grandchildren look to us for their leadership, for the, the nod or the encouragement to say, this is important in life. So it never, ever grows out of importance or significance. And I want to challenge you to do that. And like I said before, just a moment ago, the best way to do it is to make sure that you're walking with the Lord yourself and that you're right with him. And so uh, that's how I want to wrap up this morning. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, you don't know the power of Christ in your life, and you want to make a decision to follow him, I'd love to just have a conversation with you. I'm going to be up front here in just a few moments as we sing our last song. And, and, uh, and during this time as well, we want to make the front open and available for, for people to come forward and pray. If you want to pray for your family, maybe pray for your grandkids or pray for your children, whatever's going on, or, or the kids of our church, we'd love to have you just step up and do that. And Georgia's going to be here available if you want to come up and pray with her as well. Uh, we just want this to be a time of worship and celebration as we respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would help us to guard our minds and our hearts, Lord, 
that we would walk your way. Father, help us to understand the importance of truth, that there is a source of truth, your word, that we don't have to wonder, that we can go and see what you say about everything in life, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would love your word, we would love truth with all of our minds. And Lord, whether we're active parents or past parents or future parents, whatever it may be, Father, give us a commitment to raise the next generation to know you, to walk with you, to have their minds firmly committed to your way. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship.